PCA Conversations with Black Voices. This is Between the Pew. Between the Pew is brought to you by African American Ministries. AAM exists to provide ways to support, mentor, and mobilize African Americans within the PCA. What's up, people? Hello. Welcome to Between the Pew. Today, we are joined by Reverend Lance Lewis and Reverend Charles Lewis. Mm. Lance is the pastor of New City Sacramento Church in California. And Charles is the new associate pastor of um, Northside Church in Richmond, Virginia. My name is Kelly Brown, and I am joined today by my co-host, Janelle Chavis. Hey, everybody. And we are excited uh, to get into this time and hear about this father-son pair in ministry, hear their journey, get more mm-hmm. familiar with who they are, and just talk like we at the back of the church after service, hanging out, the deacons are counting the money, and... <laughs> you know, <laughs> cleaning up after service and we just yes, sitting in Lord. the back of the pew. That you you know, you know what I'm talking about. Don't you? Y'all remember, that. remember um, that. So let's get into it. Um, let's start things off with my friend, uh, my brother, Pastor Lance. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Praise the Lord, fam. Um, first of all, thank you, uh, Kelly, Janelle, for asking us to do this. We are just thrilled. Uh, to to be on it. This this is what's up. Mm. Um, and I don't even know what the question was. Tell us about yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah. Lance Lewis, um, originally from West Philadelphia, where I was born and raised. Okay. Um, on the playground. Mm-hmm. Is that where you spend most of your the, days? On the playground where I did spend most of my days. <laughs> Chilling and out. On, okay. And, and once in a while on the same playground as Will Smith. Is Not that the same right? Time. Wow. Yes, that's right. At the same wow. time. Not at the same time. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was about to say, whoa. But on the same playground. <laughs> yes. Not at the same time. Yes. Um, so I um, married to Sharon Lewis for 36 years. And we Sharon. had two children. Sharon. She would kind of be hovering around, but she's at work right now. Mm. Okay. Um, and we have two children, Sarah, uh, who lives in Atlanta. And of course, our son, Charles Lewis. Um, and we, we just introduced him. And so that's a little bit about me. Uh, been in ministry for, uh, oh Lord, a, a few decades now. Uh, been <laughs> ordained in the PCA for a couple of decades. Um, got saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost at Amen. National Temple Church of the Living God. Amen. The pillar and ground of the truth uh, back in 1981 through the witness of a friend of mine uh, named Craig Cardwell. Uh, presently serving as pastor of New City Sacramento. Um, we are in Northern California and just seeing what the Lord is going to do uh, with us, uh, through us, in us, as we seek to, as I say, uh, proclaim Christ, pursue justice, and promote redemptive ethnic unity. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's good. Amen. That's real good. Okay. So, Lance, how long have you been in California. And I think I, I was sitting here thinking New City Sacramento, your church had a different name when you first came. 
Yes, Lord. Uh-huh. And you, tell us, how long have you been there? How's that been? Um, been here for coming up on eight years. Uh, the church did have a different name uh, when we got here. Um, we went through a pretty bad, traumatic, ugly split over mm. issues of race, evangelism. And um, coming out of that um, and going into the Rona, as we call it, um, a number of us felt, um, as, as just we were praying, seeing what the Lord was doing, that it was time for us to move from uh, that name, uh, that particular church culture, um, embrace a new name, a new mission focus. And so that's how we arrived at New City, Sacramento. Um, we had a number of name suggestions and um, Sharon's actually the one who suggested that we name it New City Fellowship. Oh, um, nice. And so the church voted upon that and that's how we became New City Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Sacramento. So what area town in Sacramento? I'm not super familiar with California, but what kind of people around? What's it like being there? Um, we're, we're technically in Elk Grove. So we're in a suburb of Sacramento. Um, we're in Northern California, about 120 miles or so east of the Bay Area. So if you're familiar with San okay. Francisco, Oakland, we're about 120 or so miles, I think, 90 to 120 miles east of the Bay Area. Um, where we are in Elk Grove, it's, um, you're, you're, one, I, I do like it. I, I like where I live. Um, I, I like the, um, the, 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 the vibe, we're, we're a small, vibrant little city, about 175,000. We are technically very diverse in our city um, in terms of percentage of different people in the city. Uh, we are basically a bedroom community for Sacramento, I would say. Um, many of the residents of Elk Grove work for the state. We have a large state government because we are we're a big state. So a lot of folks work for the state or many other folks might work for Apple or um, tech industry, um, hospital and medical provider industry, as well as of course, a, a number of others. Um, in terms of, of people, um, it's, it's an interesting mix of people here in Elk Grove, Sacramento. Um, though there is the quote unquote diversity, one thing I, I tend to see, and I think people would agree with, although we, we do wanna to try to change it as a city, is we live with, um, we live among one another, but not really with one another. Mm. And so, um, and I don't wanna dominate the conversation, but about four years ago in Elk Grove, we had some serious vile racist incidents. I mean, mm. national headlines, vile racist stuff that mm. was happening. And um, I think it definitely shook our city because you look and I can tell you guys, you can't go anywhere to any store, playground, whatever, for the most part, where you would go in Elk Grove. We don't have a whole, whole lot, but we, we, we are growing, we're getting more stuff, but you can't go anywhere and not see a variety of different people. You will mm. always, whether it's a coffee shop, whether it's the supermarket, um, or whatever, like you will always see um, a variety of people, high schools, elementary schools. So I think it shook us because you can get the illusion that everything is okay because we're all here together. It's a fairly new city. It really didn't start developing until the early 2000s. So you don't have entrenched ethnic neighborhoods that you would have in some of the larger northern, even mm -hmm. southern cities, um, even Midwestern. Mm -hmm. You don't have that. Um, so it's almost like we're all just living together, vibing together. 
hanging together and then these racist things happen. Hmm. And so that reminded us that this is the kind of world we live in. We, 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 we tried to address them. I think we, we, we made an attempt. We're still making attempts, but we still know it's there. At the very end of December, um, someone threw a brick through the window of one of our Asian American uh, restaurants, wow. wrote some stuff on it. What? You know, we, yeah, it is, wow. it's still there. It's still there. Mm. And so we, we believe that it's important for a congregation to speak into those issues. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that that's yeah. a little bit about the, the city. Uh, Sacramento, again, it's the larger neighbor. It's about a half million people. Uh, rapid gentrification going on. Um, we're getting a lot of housing increase and in, in push from the Bay Area. So one of the things that COVID did, we all know people started working from home. People in the Bay Area who had good jobs, a lot of money, housing, equity sold, began moving east to Sacramento. And so now we're experiencing some rapid gentrification. So we, we have all of the challenges mm-hmm. of um, gentrification, how are we going to deal with those who are still struggling on the margins? And again, even those out in the suburbs, are we really going to live with one another um, or simply be here among one another? Mm, that's good. That's good. Brother Lance, I, I want you to back up a little bit and talk about your, and, and, and Brother Charles, we're going we're gonna to get your, your uh, intro in just one second. But I was curious when you were talking about West Philadelphia, um, can you speak a little bit about your church background? Did you grow up in the church? What was your church like uh, during your, your formative years? Mm. Thanks, Janelle. Did not grow up in church. Uh, my parents um, did not go to church. They didn't reject God. They just didn't go to church. Um, mm-hmm. My church background came from my grandmother at first, who, when I was very, very young, took uh, me and all our grandchildren to Holy Temple, uh, Church of God in Christ, and to Bishop Ozo T. Jones, Sr. first, and then Bishop Ozo T. Jones, Jr. Mm. Um, so we went to Holy Temple, Church of God in Christ, I got saved, as I said, through the witness of a friend when I was 16 and went yes. to a different Pentecostal denomination, um, church called National Temple, Church of the Living God. Thankfully, both my parents got saved um, before they went home to be the Lord after I got saved. So my formative church years, and again, I didn't have much. Um, mm-hmm. you know, my grandmother took me sparingly, and my home was not a church going home. So it just was not a part of who I was. Once I did get saved, um, it was just a, it was a black Pentecostal church mm-hmm. that I was a part of with all of the culture and um, all of the things you remember now. And then you look back and say, wow, they had so much going on. It's like you take a bus trip and they're passing the hat to take an offering for the bus driver because mm. they know it's hard. Wow. You know, and you, you know, you, you don't think about that stuff then. And then when you leave, you're, you know, I, I was poo-pooing them, but now it's like, man, they just had so much going on mm-hmm. um, in terms of their, their, their love for the Lord. So yeah, you know, that's a sort of snapshot of my background. Yeah. I always say um, if the PCA is my father, the black church is my mother. Amen. And it's mm. things like that, that really uh, taught you more than just the theology, but how to, how to live for your community. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, I, I wanted to, to, to bring Brother Charles on in and, and, and oh, tell brother us Charles. a little bit about himself. Yeah, you're Brother Charles today. Yes, brother, <laughs> brother, yes, yes. Let's do it. Uh, 
Um, yeah, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know a lot of things uh, will overlap, obviously, but you have your you have your own life in Richmond, Virginia. So tell us about yourself uh-huh. and and what you got going on. Uh, yeah, so very similarly to my dad, uh, West Philadelphia, born and raised. Um, one of the blessings from from even my early formative experiences, being a baby, um, even being a toddler up until about four years old, um, is that I can distinctly remember that uh, on any given Sunday, um, I could be at 10th Presbyterian, which is this historic PCA church, um, pretty much so as high church as you can get in our denomination, uh, suits, very stiff, um, like very white, culturally white. Like I could be there on any given Sunday. Or I could be with my grandparents at their Pentecostal church, at their Black church wow. um, on any given Sunday. Um, so from my earliest recollections and memories of church, I had these two both um, pictures of what church was. Yeah. Um, and for me, they weren't competing. They were just different expressions. Mm. Um, and as mm. I've gotten older, um, I've really got, grown to appreciate that. Um, just being able to see, uh, yeah, 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 God's people meeting um, separately out of a sinful history, uh, but still seeing both as the family of God, as manifestations hmm. of the family of God. So yeah. what was saved very, very young. I remember saying uh, the prayer with my mom or West Philly home. Um, and I remember saying the prayer, but even then I felt like I was just um, given words um, to what had already happened. So I can't say when the Lord saved me. Oh, I just know amen. that he did. I'm one of those, those kids who can't remember a day. Yeah. Um, I had a little bit of a soteriology of a Christology when I was a kid. I'm not sure if y'all remember the song El Shaddai, but mm-hmm. I love, I loved that song as mm-hmm. like a wee little Tyler. But in my four in my four year old brain though, um, I didn't realize they were saying El Shaddai. I thought they were saying Al shall die. That there was this dude named uh, Al. Al <laughs> oh, Price. Not Al. <laughs> Al was gonna Wait. die. Al surely was gonna die. Al shall die. Oh, Al Price, man. I was four years oh, old man. singing. I was four years old singing that song with conviction, man. Al should die. Al yeah. should die. Yes, yes, yes. Al so, could come. I was like, I could be Al. I could be Al. That's how I felt at four years the old. Best. So, yeah, that was my, the best. That was my four-year-old understanding of the gospel. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of a of a sense of a call. To, to, to ministry in my current ministry that I'm in right now. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it happened in high school. Uh, my Bible teacher, um, it was junior year of high school. Uh, my Bible teacher uh, was teaching us systematics and that's when I really just fell in love with theology and that systematic theology class. Mm. Shout out to Dr. Kunkel. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he approached me once after class. And he was like, uh, Charles, have you ever considered being a pastor? Because I know that you're really gravitating towards systematic theology. And I was like, no, Mr. Kunkel, I think uh, the trajectory for my life is to become a counselor. I want to become a licensed marriage and family counselor. That's what oh, I cool. do. Um, and he was like, well, you know, you could do both. You could be a pastoral counselor. That is something that's, that's a viable option for you. 
Um, and I really took that to heart. So I remember talking about it with my dad in our West Philly uh, neighborhood, walking around, uh, yeah, just walking around the block. I remember <laughs> bringing it up to him and he just kind of started walking slower. He was like, now Charles, this isn't something that you have to do. You can go mm. to State Farm and make good money. Like, you good money. You don't have to choose. <laughs> good money. Now, wait, were, Brother Lance, were you, had you answered the call to ministry by this point when he, when, when Charles was a, this is, you said your junior year of high school? This is my junior year of high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my dad had answered the call to okay. ministry at that point. Um, so yeah, he was just telling me like, listen, you don't, this doesn't have to be the trajectory for your life, right? Mm. Um, but God had different plans. But I took yeah. that to heart as well. So even as I went to college, I covered in college down in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. Um, I went there to study psychology, but I went with an open hand. Like, all right, maybe, maybe the Lord might be calling me um, to pastoral ministry. So after graduating from Covenant, I stayed in Chattanooga, uh, working for Covenant as a missions representative for a couple of years. It was really during that time uh, through the council of men like Wyatt Plummer, uh, like mm. Kevin Smith, um, like Randy Neighbors. I'm just being down there uh, in Chattanooga, uh, Carl mm. and Karen Ellis, just having them just around me and uh, speaking into me. Um, mm. They really encouraged me towards going into ministry. Mm. Um, so I ended up doing RUF for a year, their internship uh the University of Pittsburgh loved it. It was such okay. a great about experience. That, yeah, it was short. It was short. So typically you do the internship for two years. I was only there for one year and it wasn't because things went bad. No, I loved my experience there. Um, but then I got offered an opportunity to work for a church in the Northern Virginia area of McLean Presbyterian. Um, so I went there to work mm -hmm. for them uh, and to finish up seminary. Uh, so I got done with McLean. Uh, in 2019, and that's when I came here to the Northside Church of Richmond, uh, mm -hmm. and this is where I currently serve. Got ordained about a couple months ago. Couple months ago, mm -hmm. yes. fresh, fresh, mm. yes. Yeah. What's that? What's what's fresh. the church like? What's the what's the demographic breakdown? What's the makeup like? Yeah. So the church itself, man, I would say we're probably. 85% white, I would say 14% black and 1% Asian American. That might okay. be 13% black, 2% Asian American. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where we currently are. Uh, our senior pastor, Pastor Matt Ward, he's very intentional um and not calling mm -hmm. ourselves a cross-cultural church but mm -hmm. we're a church striving and seeking to be cross-cultural ah, um, so we have cross-cultural right. we have cross-cultural values we have cross-cultural commitments um we have cross-cultural goals but we recognize that we're not there yet so we can mm -hmm. call ourselves a, a truly cross-cultural church um quite yet but that's the goal that's the goal amen so Y'all Lewis brothers, I, I, we got, we got mad history mm -hmm. <laughs> together. Yes. Um, Lance and my husband Howard were at, at the time, a flagship church in the, the denomination mm -hmm, under Reverend Lewis Wilson uh, at Redemption Fellowship in Fayetteville, Georgia. And Redemption was the premier uh, and I think the first 
Black-led, middle-class church plant for the PCA. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Howard ended up coming to intern there shortly, right after we got married, actually, 97. And Lance was already there with his little kids. <laughs> I think Charles was, how old were you in 97? Well, we, 97. We in 99 so well oh, y'all came there. after us we came well, after okay. we came after okay and i was I nine years old yeah i was nine years you old. were nine mm. yeah, you, you were a little, yeah. Guy. Yeah. little yeah. guy little guy yeah and sarah was a little bit older and mm -hmm. um i remember when sarah got into the youth group <laughs> mm -hmm. and how it was the youth pastor there and um that's where our friendship started with the lewis's with lance and sharon and uh, going through some crazy stuff at mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yes, at uh, at uh, redemption, but the Lord has delivered. Amen. Amen. Um, but amen. you were at tenth prior to that. Yes. Amen and mm -hmm. amen. You were at tenth press before that. Was that your first PCA church? It was. It was Kelly. So God saved at National Temple, eighty-one. Two years after that, um, went to West Oak Lane Church of God. That's where I met Sharon. Um, and of course, Charles's grandparents, that's what the church they were going to in about 80, I don't know, 788, maybe 88, 89. Um, we were studying scripture. Our views changed uh, to reform views, basically. Um, predestination, mm -hmm. eternal security. Um, and right, actually right before that, we, we sort of just, we really had cold on the whole doctrine of the baptism of the spirit. Um, mm. and, and so we were kind of on our way out. Um, I had been called to ministry though. So I was one of the young ministers there. And then, um, so, so there was a lot going on with that. Um, at the same time, Kevin and Sandy Smith, uh, we were all for experiencing the same thing. And mm. so we all ended up leaving West Oak Lane together and then we all joined 10th Presbyterian in the spring of 1990, a few months before Charles was born. So you were at that church mm -hmm. with Kevin and Sandy? Yes. Mm -hmm. All before the PCA? Um, no, that, they, were the, that, they were a PCA church. So when we, when we went okay. there, that's the PCA church we joined. Gotcha. We didn't know they were PCA. Um, okay. the, way, the way it worked, we didn't know anyone who was reformed. Um, and we were going to go to a a, a really good black Baptist church, but we mm -hmm. knew that they weren't reformed. We didn't know what reform was, by the way. We we just knew that. <laughs> I know it's really weird, right? So we know we believed in unconditional election, and mm -hmm. we knew that Christian stronghold did not. Um, but Kevin knew that Tenth Presbyterian did because he attended at one of he had attended one of their theology conferences. Okay. And so he says, I think we should go here. So we started going to Tenth Pres in the summer of '89. Um, and we didn't know it was PCA. We didn't know anything about Presbyterian mm -hmm. reform. We were just like, this is what we believe. They believe it. So this is where we're going to go. And so that's mm -hmm. how that's how that happened. Mm -hmm. now, what was Charles it like there? About... Go ahead, Janelle. Now I, I'm curious, what was it like there when you when you stepped foot in 10th Pres? What was what was the makeup like and and what was your experience? It was um it was strange, different. Stiff, standoffish. Mm. Um, it was overwhelmingly um, white. The culture was completely different 
from the church culture that we had known. Um, it, it, if, if West Oak Lane was a family gathering to have a good time in the Lord before our Father who loved us, there are times when 10th felt like a board meeting um, mm, when you heard wow. a lecture um, and then went home. Um, I think mm. the thing that really, for the, I, I'm going to say, I'll use this term loosely, but I think you'll know what I mean, saved us there is Kevin was asked to come on as an intern and take charge of uh, one of their um, small adult uh, Sunday school groups. And we really sort of had a, a mini church there. And that's where we got connected to friends, um, some of whom are still friends to, today. Um, mm-hmm. like all, you know, many of whom are still friends of ours today. Mm-hmm. Um, so that became kind of our lifeline mm-hmm. uh, to 10th. Um, and so that's, that's, that, that, that was the experience though. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that was experience. And what kind of, did, did, did they embrace you? I mean, to have two black men show up with their wives and their children. And I remember, I mean, mm. I remember some things about 10th and, and uh, Reverend Dr. Boyce back in the day. Um, how, how did you guys rationalize being, I presume, one of few, if not the only ones, when church was over? How did you function every Sunday, even with that, that Bible study? Um, did, did you feel like they saw you? Did it take a lot of time to feel like they trusted you guys and were moving towards you? Or did it, you know, did you see the gospel soften people's heart? What was that like? Yeah, that's, a, that's a really insightful question. Um, I think on the one hand, it was like, what do we do with these folks? And how do we do with these folks? Um, so I think there was sort of like, well, we'll just treat them as, as if we're colorblind. And I think that's mm-hmm. what it was like. It's like, well, mm-hmm. they're here, they're black, but we don't have to, to deal with that. We won't mention that. We'll just treat them the way we would treat any others. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. No, on the one hand, that, that has its advantages in that sure. you, you're not intentionally marginalized. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I want to express appreciation for tents and many of the things they did, the opportunities yeah. they gave us. Um, I still wish there, there were um, camera phones back in the early 90s so someone could have taken a picture of the times Kevin and I led worship on Sunday morning beside Dr. Boyce. Hmm. So Dr. Boyce is up in the middle. Kevin said on one side, really? on the other side, yes. And, you know, I, I really wish we had camera phones back then. Yeah. Um, so, so there was that. And, and they certainly opened the opportunity for Kevin and I to minister. So I do appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a church committed to the city. And, and, and I do want to, mm-hmm. you know, I want to okay. give 10 okay. pops for that. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, I do need to say this. They were still dealing, the country, the cities were still dealing uh, with the AIDS epidemic at that point. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. 10th, you know, I think they did a remarkable job in terms of having a ministry to those with AIDS. And so I think it was all of that going on, but there's still people in the pew. Sure. <laughs> and people in the pew, um, if they don't know how to relate to you, um, they can be insensitive. Uh, they can say racist things. Uh, they can do racist things. They can make you feel unwelcome. Um, mm-hmm. 
And what I did is, as far as you asking, how do you put up with that? I didn't do it well. I think I just decided to look past a lot of things because I was really getting into the theology of it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said, that's, what it, that, that's how I rationalized it. I said, well, the theology is great. And so then the idea is well, we, what we need to do is take this theology into the Black community. And so that became yeah. the mission, the call, and the goal. Mm-hmm. And so that led you from 10th to... New City Fellowship of Fredericksburg. Um, so That's I right. wanted right. to get into full-time ministry. And that, that goes back to Charles' State Farm reference. So um, I rejoined 10th in 1990. <laughs> and at the same time, I got a job um, as an auto insurance um, claims adjuster for State Farm. Mm. And it was a good job. All a right. real good job. Um, <laughs> All right. Good, as, as, as the old folks say, yeah, you're making good money. You know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. that's how you know. <laughs> that's how you know. Wait, what you do? Oh, yeah, that's yeah, good money. That's, Praise that's, God. Good, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And really so, got a good job. yeah, it was it was a good job. Good money. No weekends. You know, eight to four, nine to five. Um, and of and, and the opportunity to move up. But I still had this call to ministry. I wanted to be in ministry full time. Um, and so when the pastor of New City Fellowship of Fredericksburg, we saw each other at sort of a M&A-ish type meeting in New Jersey. He had just started New City in late 94 and asked me to come down to be a pastoral assistant since it was a church focusing on racial reconciliation. And so that's what we did in February of 1995. We moved mm. from Philly to uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia area. Uh, to be a part of New City Fellowship of Fredericksburg. Okay. Okay. And by did, did you get, or when did you get ordained in the PCA? 2001. So it was February 2001. 2001. So it was 95 to 99. And that's when I went to Chesapeake Seminary. Then supposed to do the, well, did half the internship in Fayetteville. Um, then had to leave there in 2000 and then went forward with the church plant in Philly because Tenth had asked us to come and do a church plant after we had left, which is really funny. It's like, we were there for four years, nothing. We left, it's like, y'all should come back. <laughs> but uh, it's another story. So ended up getting ordained in the Philadelphia Presbytery in um, February of 2001. Okay. And so Charles, you're watching your father, um, you, you're, you know, I know you're a little kid, but you're still seeing him respond to this call to ministry over the years, go from state farm to seminary to being ordained. Was there anything that struck you about watching your dad do that, especially as you got into your junior year of high school, knowing that he was by then a pastor already? Did you ever look at the him and think, gosh, dad, that I'd never do that or or were you indifferent and just didn't pay much attention to what dad does? Because I know preachers' kids go through some things too. Um, how <laughs> oh, was that experience right. for you? How did it shape you into doing or wanting to do ministry? Yeah, yeah, that's a phenomenal question. Um, I think, I mean, growing up as a kid um, is not something that you give a whole lot of 
conscious level thoughts. It was like kind of similar to the mm-hmm. question, like, what's it like being a pastor's kid? It was like, I got nothing to compare it to. It's like, this is all I know. Right. Um, I, I do think that there is a level um, just through how much we moved, right? Um, going from Philly to Fredericksburg, then going from Fredericksburg um, to Fayetteville, um, then going from Fayetteville back to Philly, um, it mm. all felt like we were on mission. Like this was part uh, of dad's mm. call and therefore the call um, of the family. So I think if anything, um, there was a sense of, um, man, like th- this man really, he re- he's really about this mission. He's really about this call. Mm. Um, if he's willing to, 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 shape his his life and his family's life mm-hmm. around this thing um mm-hmm. i think yeah growing up you as a pastor's kid you do go through things i think there were definitely um seasons of resentment i would say definitely in, in high not high school but more so middle school um seasons of resentment mm-hmm. um and i think and uh, we might talk about this a little bit later but i think um as my dad reflects about his, on his time in the ministry, um, he can see that there were probably some unhelpful and unhealthy ways in which he put ministry um, in front of his family, which kind of um, mm. explains mm. why why we moved so much and all those things. But um, yeah, there was definitely that re- there was definitely that level of resentment, I would say, in middle school. Um, but we. I think because we are created in the image of God, a complex God, that we are capable to fill multiple things at the same time and experience multiple things at the same time. So even though there was this frustration, um, there's also a deep admiration, like both things mm. were happening at the same time. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I was res- resenting the fact that this was a call in our family's life, but at the same time, like admiring my dad, um, especially like seeing how he moved um, in some of these spaces, um, and especially seeing um, his love for his people. I think that was probably one of the biggest mm, things, mm. um, being, being in a place like 10th um, and seeing the type of church my dad sought out to plant. Like that was just amazing for me to see. It's like, oh no, like this is a man who loves his people. That even increased the admiration as well. So. Mm. Was there anything about what you saw him going through and how it impacted you that you were like, I ain't never, ever, <laughs> ever, 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 ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that, that's a good question, no, because I think a lot of that I was unaware of. Um, mm. and I, I, I'm, I'm very much so um, aware of it now that my dad has experienced um much trauma and much scars um, going through ministry. And I think part of that um, comes from going through ministry, period, uh, but especially being a Black man in a predominantly white denomination, um, that's going to yeah. come with its own sets uh, of traumas, um, all, all of which I was pretty much so not really privy to or aware of coming mm-hmm. up. Um, I don't think that reality started to set in for me um, until until college and a little bit after college. Um, And I think part of that, part of the reason why I wasn't um, really aware 
of, of yeah, the, the hardship my dad was going through. Um, I'll say two things. One, um, I have an incredibly loving father, right? Um, so even in the midst of all the hardship he went through, it's not like he'd be out, experience all this hardship and then bring it into the home and take mm, it out okay. as a family. Like that yeah, just wasn't yeah, yeah. it. So like, I like I couldn't see, and I know he carried it in his own way, um, mm-hmm. but like it was never like kind of like, man, dad's having a, another hard day being mm-hmm. a pastor in this white denomination. Mm-hmm. That was never a thing. The other thing though was um, there's a very real sense in which um, in these spaces, uh, we can glamorize the black person in these spaces yes. doing their thing, planning, pl- doing their little project, planning their little West Valley church. You know, we can cl- glamorize that. So in a way, my dad was, in my mind, a bit of like a local celebrity in the reform circles that we mm. were running in in Philadelphia. So mm-hmm. I saw all the all the praise he got from people um, okay. that really blinded me um, to the hard work um, and just hard experience he was going through um, outside of the praise that you just heard people say. So um, yeah, yeah, there were just yeah. so, there was so much I wasn't aware of until, um, yeah, I'd say college and after college, um, when I guess in adulthood, my dad felt more free to talk about his experiences with me more candidly, sure. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. especially as I started considering the ministry yeah. myself. Mm-hmm. 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 Did yeah, and this may be a question for um, for both you guys, but and and I I hear what you're saying, Charles, and you know black ministers entering into these spaces and they're seen as this hot commodity and everybody mm-hmm. everybody wants them, everybody wants that diversity in the church. Lance, how much? And I know you've you've said a little bit of this already when you were talking about the the, the state farm job, but how how burdened if any, did you feel to warn your son, maybe warn isn't the best word, but give him disclaimers of what he was potentially, you know, getting himself into? What kind of feel did you have of Mm -hmm. of, of what to communicate to Charles and how to communicate that to him? Mm. That's good. good. It is good. I I wanted to communicate to him, um, and I don't know if I did it well, that just because he grew up in a, in a Christian home and um, had, had the blessings of, of that Christian high school, college, and he was a black man. And so there would be that pull, but you don't have to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and, and that wasn't, I mean, part of it was, this is, this is a white denomination and a lot of times, um, keeping this G, um, they want to use, you know, they, they want eye candy. Um, mm-hmm. And that that's kind of what it's about, is being eye candy. And they don't want a whole person. Mm-hmm. And so this, this not mm-hmm. wanting him to get involved mm-hmm. in any of that. And then, of course, you know, there's your own personal regret, you know. And we, we always look at life... Um, and, and I hate to bring a Star Trek reference in, but you know, it's me. Do it. No, brother, do it. Go y'all, for it. Go ahead. Y'all, yeah, y'all, come on, man. Okay, after this, all y'all listening to this podcast, y'all just need to call up on the YouTube the Star Trek Picard season two 
um, trailer. It's just masterful uh-huh. because uh-huh. Picard, we know he's an uh-huh. old man. And what he says about- Wait, the second season trailer is out? The Star Trek Picard season two trailer is out. And it's him just <laughs> talking. And he says, it's not the mistakes or something like that. It's, it's, it's not the things we did. It's what we would have liked to have done. And how mm. time, it's just a masterful. The idea is, yeah. look back and humanly speaking, um, I regret leaving State Farm when I did. You know, mm. I regret mm. entering ministry in the PCA. Um, again, you, you, you mm. don't know what God is doing and the tapestry that he's doing and how he's working in your life, your wife, your children. But in terms of the question, you know, I think it's a good question. I, I wish that um, I had done things so differently. And that's what I wanted to convey to Charles. It's like, you, you can just do things yeah. differently. You, you can go to State Farm and just stay there mm-hmm. and, and, and still serve the Lord. If you want to go to a PCA church, okay, but you can still serve the Lord, have a thriving life. So yeah, that's what I wanted to convey to him. Mm-hmm. And, and to follow up mm-hmm. on that, I feel as if he conveyed that incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Um, even as oh, I wow. take steps further into the call to ministry, um, take steps further into the um, PCA in particular. Um, It was always a prayerful endeavor with an eye looking at what else could be out there. (laughs) Like every Christmas break, Mm -hmm. I would fly out to Sacramento and I just start looking at jobs. All right, what sales jobs can I get? I'm like in my last year, I'm in like my last year of seminary, like looking, Mm -hmm. I'm like under care in the presbytery, but still thinking about what other jobs could I potentially (laughs) do. Like I really took, I took took his warning very Uh seriously. Um, But as as I would go through that process of seeing what else might there be for me, um, sure, there's plenty of things I could do that I'd be good at, um, but that's just not what I feel the internal call to. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very, yeah, I can't say how thankful I am for my dad being very vocal about his regrets um, and releasing me from the pressure of having to follow into his footsteps. Because, um, mm. yeah, like... So what was it? What what was the uh, the moment? Maybe mm-hmm. there was maybe there was an uh, an aha moment. But what was the moment where you said, "Hey, you know, Dad, I hear what you're saying, and uh, I appreciate what you're saying. Uh, I, I feel called to this." Though was there a an event that happened? A person of influence? Uh, the stars aligning? I don't know. What, what, what was it? Yeah, no, that that that's a great question. I think that that event happened the very first time we had that conversation um Mm. my junior year of high school I said I hear what you're saying um but I feel called to this um I feel like even then um the call was enough for me to pursue the call um cautiously again keeping my eyes on other things I think even when it came to the point of me accepting the job at Northside Church of Richmond um I think um, when I chose to come here, that's when I closed the door, at least at that mm-hmm. time, 
for anything else potential. Um, and I don't think it was really just kind of like this epiphany, this light bulb moment or anything like that. I think it really was, it's like, yo, I've been at this for a decade, like mm -hmm. almost like longer than a decade with this idea of, of potentially becoming a pastor, right? Um, and I've been praying through this um, for almost a decade, right? Um, and looking at other options for almost a decade. So, um, yeah, I don't think there was a single influential person um, or anything like that or an influential event. I just think it was just the, the, the decade of pursuit and, and exploration mm -hmm. um, that, that, that brought me here. Um, I, I'll also say that I am, I am so thankful um, to be ordained in the PCA. Mm. I want to make that clear. I want to make that clear. If I'm not ordained in the PCA five years from now, I'm cool. Like, I can still become a salesman. Like for real. <laughs> like, like I get State Farm's now off the table, right? Like I, I was, I'm covenantly, I'm covenantly committed to this denomination. But like for real, like number one, what comes first is God. What comes second is my wife. Um, what comes third is the church that I'm committed to. Right mm -hmm. now, that's as a pastor, but that might not always be the case. Mm -hmm. um, so like, mm -hmm. I, what, what I'm trying to be careful not to do is like, obviously like, I wanna move in such a way that I take care of my family. That means um, having, having a certain measure of job security, but there comes a point in time where God says, Charles, like pa pastoral ministry ain't it for you. I'm a listen. If mm. he tells me, if there comes a point in time, he says the PCA ain't it anymore. I'm a listen. Mm -hmm. um, but just like that's true. It's also true that I'm listening now. Right yeah. now he is saying, no, it is pastoral ministry. It is the PCA. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so neat. And I, you know, we were talking ahead of this and, and um, just about the fact that we, we think you guys made PCA history being the first father-son duo ordained in the PCA, black teaching elders ordained in the PCA. So you guys are, you guys are trailblazers in, in, in a whole lot of ways. And we, we were excited to, to sit down and chat with you guys yeah, for a lot of reasons. Yeah, They call yeah. that co covenant, uh, uh, covenantal theology. You know, Charles is a and you just said it, a covenant child, right. not only just in the spirit of the kingdom, but like Janelle is saying, uh, for a handful, I think we have 53 Black mm. teaching elders. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I think so. 52, 53. Mm -hmm. and, and that number has not really grown very much. It, it hasn't. We've added and subtracted. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. No, mm -hmm. it really hasn't. And so, you know, it's exciting to see Charles, Charles be here uh, as the son of a, a black TE. Mm -hmm. Means a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I think, think listeners, ask a, yeah. Yeah, I, was, I think listeners really wanted to know, okay, if there, if a, a, a father ordained in the, in the, in the denomination, what was going on in that household that, allow the son to also be interested in, in being in the same denomination that's, um, that's so heavily white. So I, I thank you guys for explaining that well. Um, my next question 
really is in each of you, uh, I want each of you to answer this. The state, the current state of your current churches, what mm. about it is um, making you stay, making you, you, you feel called to, to um, serve God in these spaces? Um, I suppose, okay, well, where we are now, I'll, I'll say at, at New City Sacramento, having come through um, uh, the split, I, I think that God has really blessed us to be uh, much more unified in our mission and our focus. And I think we're, we're realizing that even though we live in what many would describe as liberal California, that that kind of mission focus is definitely necessary. Mm. Um, and so I'm very, very encouraged, enthused, excited about what the Lord is doing mm-hmm. at New City of Sacramento. And um, I, I would be grateful to, to pastor um, this, this church if it was PCA or not PCA. Um, got different thoughts on the denomination, but that's, that's another story. But mm. um, I, I think where we are, where we're positioned what God has done um, in us and through us, and I believe where he can take us, I'm very much encouraged uh, for our local congregation. Mm. That's good. That's good. What about for you, Lance? Yeah, I would, I would or Charles, say I'm sorry. it's cool. I, I'm, I've been used to being called Lance, so don't, <laughs> don't even worry about it. That ain't nothing new. That ain't, you know what I meant. That I'm, ain't nothing you know, look, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of five, and okay. I, also oh, have a, I also have a twin sister, so okay. I, can, I can probably count on my hand how many times yes. I, was, I was called yes. the right names. So. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, that, that's a great question. I think I think one of the philosophies I try to live by is that all has been given to be given away, mm. um, and that includes um, your story, your experiences, um, all of it. And even as I was alluding to um, in the beginning, um, my, my view of, um, of the church, of Christ's bride, um, from a very young age um, has been a cross-cultural view, um, mm. whether that was um, being from infancy up until about four years old um, on any given Sunday being at 10th Prez or Westwood Lane Church of God, um, or was, uh, being a part of the slew of cross-cultural churches I've been a part of, um, there's just been a way in which I've been in these spaces and involved in these conversations for such a long time um, that I feel as if um, it's important for me to take whatever little bit I have to offer, to offer it to people um, uh, who, who, who seemingly need it. Um, and I feel mm-hmm. as if that's part of what brought me here to the Northside Church of Richmond. For the Northside Church of Richmond in particular, um, there are many, uh, how, how, how do I say this? There are many churches um, in our denomination that seek to do the whole cross-cultural thing, um, however you want to define that. Um, I think what encourages me um, about the Northside Church of Richmond um, is number one uh, leadership, um, specifically the senior pastor. I think before coming here, I just heard how um, black 
leaders in the denominations spoke about this senior pastor, how my mm. parents spoke about him, how the mm-hmm. Browns spoke about mm-hmm. him, how Thurman Williams yep. spoke about him. Yep. He had he had a certain reputation mm-hmm. um, among people that <laughs> shout I out to Matt. Shout out to Matt. Shout out to Pastor Matt. No doubt. Um, so that played a huge role in me coming here. Um, but even in addition to that, now that I've been here, um, it is one of those type things where it's like, not only does this church um, talk it, but, but um, they walk it, even though they might stumble, they do walk it. Um, yeah. you, can see, you can see it in, in, in their, in their words, like um, on their, on their website and our mission, vision values, you can't, you cannot escape the fact um, that this is a um, cross-cultural church. Even, even if you look at our 10-year goals, right, and our action plans on how to get there, you can mm. see, so, oh, no, these are people who are seriously committed mm. to this. Um, for example, this past summer, we went through an entire sermon series that Pastor uh, Matt preached um, called uh, uh, The Bible, Race, and Justice, A Christian Path Forward, mm. Um, in which we named things like white supremacy, in which we yes. were able um, to speak the names of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Elijah McClain mm-hmm. um, and Breonna Taylor from up front, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh no, this isn't something that we're trying to skate around. It's like, no, yeah. this is yeah. something that we're going to be vocal about. We're going to preach a whole sermon series just so y'all know where we are on this. Um, and then even, and then even most recently. Um, we, we, we made a staffing decision um, in which uh, by uh, the vote of the session, um, and this pastor voted for this himself, um, one of our associate pastors um, is stepping down and moving on. Um, why? Uh, in so many words, because he's white. And one of the goals of the church um, is to have... Um, not majority white pastoral leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, one of the goals is to eventually um, have a black senior pastor. Like Matt's trying to work himself out of a job. He's trying to get this church mm-hmm. ready mm-hmm. to pass on to a black right. senior pastor, mm-hmm. right? Um, and um, yeah, even as his associate pastor um, was stepping down as we're trying to make it so that we don't have majority white pastorship, um, one of the things that was accurate was like, man, if you were to take the resume um, of this pastor, his name is Pastor Joel, great brother. If you were to take his resume um, and take a black man with the exact same resume, um, they still wouldn't be equals. Pastor Joel as a white man by nature just has a ceiling that mm-hmm. a black man doesn't have. The black man's able mm-hmm. to reach people that Pastor Joel, mm-hmm. no matter how hard he tries, just mm-hmm. isn't able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The church recognizes that. Um, and it's sad to lose Pastor Joel at the same time, like we can walk in that sadness with hope that, no, this is what God's calling us to do mm-hmm. in terms of truly being a cross-cultural church. It's going to take sacrifice, Ex- um, absolutely. but yeah. but these are the sacrifices we're called to make. We're actually going to live into this kingdom vision, right? So just even being able to see how these decisions are made and to see how they're carried out, um, man, I'm so encouraged to be in a place yeah. mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. No, oh, oh, I have um, that is that's good. Northside mm-hmm. is, is doing it right. You uh, just got me hyped for a second. So, <laughs> yes, I love oh, that. This is hype. Mm-hmm. 
So the first thing that I have to get out of the way is y'all have, may have already picked up on this, but my brother Lance and I are huge Star Trek fans. We are Trekkies. Mm-hmm. Every year for called? our birthdays, yes, we are called Trekkies. <laughs> and, um, you know, those of Black folks in the sci-fi world, we call ourselves Blurds, black nerds, black, nerds, obliques, yeah. black geeks. We do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Lance was such a balm to my soul at um, a redemption when we served together there because I, I just had never seen a black person who got into Star Trek like I did. Like <laughs> I was really, we were really, really into Star Trek. Yes. And so this brother is greeting me with the live long and prosper. <laughs> we're speaking Klingon to each mm-hmm. other. It's been amazing. Every birthday he sends me the Klingon <laughs> birthday greeting and I send it to him. On You're his. talking Greek right so, now. Um, I don't know what's happening. It's, listen, that's exactly right. We are a small but you know endearing group of, of black, black Star Trek folks. Kaplot. But I want to Kripla, that's right. <laughs> um, but brothers, in 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 all honesty and realness, you know, we're we're coming up on our time here. But um Lance, I know um I know the regular struggles of being in the PCA and trying to plant a church, you know, we know that that's tough and, and the PCA has done a lot of work and, and have revised their processes for church planning over the years as, we, as we've seen things that worked and things that didn't work. Um, but when you're a black person, a black man in this denomination, that all that is exponentially more difficult. Um, and you have been a part of uh, several church plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think fundraising has, is one of the, if there's a top three, fundraising is somewhere probably on that list because we just don't have the network of resources we and we don't have the generational connections that uh, our white counterparts have. Um, you know, Charles, your situation is a little different because you're literally coming in on the work that your father and others before him have done um, and how they have shaped the denomination to even um, welcome a young black man into a position uh, as associate pastor, assistant pastor at a church like Northside. And so my question is, you know, y'all have been here for decades Y'all have seen the things that have happened in the denomination, the overtures, um, you know, the platforms that people have gone on and said and expressed different things over the years. You have lived as Black Americans with all of the hardship um, of recent years with police shootings, with violence against Black bodies, with um, elections, and particularly the confluence or or conflation of the church and politics. Mm -hmm. What's been the hardest thing? Hmm. There there have been so, so many hard things. Mm -hmm. Um, One of which I experienced in a meeting today, earlier today. Um, Oh, Father in heaven, really? Racial Reconciliation Subcommittee. And and I Mm. think it it does crystallize, though, um, 
in that it's one thing for a group of people to follow their convictions and come to a conclusion with respect to issues of race, racism, et cetera. But, and I'm, I'm gonna say, again, for, for lack of picking one hard thing, as many, to me, the hardest thing is when you go against your own confessional convictions. Mm, and so when you mm. talk to me about total depravity and your confessional stance on the sinful condition of man, when you throw up, literally, you, you vomit up Jeremiah 17, 9 in, in people's faces, and you love to refer to yourself as sinful wretches. When, when you're asked, how are you doing? And you say, well, better than I deserve. When you piously stand Sunday after Sunday mm. and recite um, formulaic confessions of sin, and yet that sin can never include racism. It's, it's almost as if mm. the, the one sin that this country, including the church, was guilty of for 400 years, all of a sudden it's magically disappeared. Mm. You know, I, I, I can, I, that is the hardest thing because then it, it almost seems, no, it's not almost, it's as if you want to maintain the status quo. And you will do so even if you have to violate your own self-professed theological convictions. And not only do I not know what to, to do with that, like I can argue with an atheist because he's going to keep his core convictions or her core conventions consistent. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I can't argue with you or discuss or debate with you if you are going to um, basically renege on your own core convictions. If I can't convince you to embrace your own confessional convictions, then we don't have a room for discussion or debate. And to me, you're going to continue. And if I say you're the PCA, for the most part, you're going to be a denomination that is still going to stand for the status quo mm. power dynamic. And I'm not sure where that leads me.